Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. In the quest for a personal relationship with anyone, there comes a time when you've got to get beyond mere words. Texting isn't enough. Emailing isn't enough. Pen pals can only go so far. Talking on the phone can only go so far. Eventually, the test of intimacy is to meet face-to-face, where words become embodied in people, in the flesh. That's the test as to whether it was all talk, all high-minded notions, or whether it was real or not. God knows this, and so God became flesh and lived with us so that we could know something more about him than just words, so that we could have a personal relationship with himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The phrase there is tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, just quickly, go to Colossians chapter 2. We'll consider John 1, 1 and 14, but for a moment, go to Colossians chapter 2. Let me just read to you verses 9 and 10. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. We've read here that the Word dwelt among us, it tabernacled among us. The idea here is that the word is no longer something. You know what words are. Words are things that little kids right now are preparing themselves for. They're preparing themselves to go back to school. They oftentimes experience the words of the teachers like Charlie Brown does, you know, the want, 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 want from his teacher. But it's words are the places where we're instructed and we're informed and we're enlightened. And they'll go and they'll be subject to the word, the word of instruction, the word of information, the word of enlightenment. But if I understand this, God has now decreed that our lives should not simply engage the word for information, not simply engage the word for instruction, not simply come before the word for enlightenment. It's become flesh because the word which embodies all ultimate truth is now to be engaged in a deep and profound and meaningful relationship. That's what we've been talking about, a personal relationship with God. That everything now is to be experienced, everything that we should be and need to be informed about and everything that we need to understand and be instructed about and everything that we need to be enlightened about of ultimate consequence is to come to us not simply in that manner, but through a deep, profound, abiding, give-and-take, tangible relationship. Christianity makes a lot of audacious claims, the kinds of claims that cause individuals to roll their eyes, and of those audacious claims, the most audacious claims are the claims they make about the person of Jesus Christ. And we say things like, Jesus raised the dead. 
Jesus walked on water. Jesus healed the blind and the lame and the deaf. Jesus multiplied five small loaves of bread and two small fishes that were in the lunch basket of a little boy, and he used it to feed over 5,000 adult men and all of their families. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Jesus is the Savior of all the world. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose again from the grave. Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus is the only way through which an individual can enter into a saving relationship with the one true God and gain eternal life. Those are some of our claims. And they are the kinds of claims that other individuals find rather audacious and even annoying. And they have a hard time believing them. But of all the claims we make about this person, Jesus, the claim that is the most audacious is this. Jesus of Nazareth is God. Jesus of Nazareth is God. Actually, if you accept that claim, all the other claims kind of make sense. They just kind of follow as a normal case. They just go along that way. We do not say that Jesus is a God. We don't say that He is a divine being. We say that He is God. We speak of the one and only Creator God, the God who is before all things and in whom all things find their existence, the one who made everything. Without Him, nothing was made. That God is Jesus. Jesus is not just one in a succession of gods. He is the only true, eternal, everlasting God. When we say from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God, we're speaking about Jesus the one who was and is and is to come. So let's just make this our first point. Jesus is God. That's what we have here. Jesus is the Word that was with God and was God. Christians believe that there is but one God, but they also believe that this God exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And these three persons are not three parts of God. They're not three gods, but they're one God, complete in total unity. So God the Father is God, all God, and not a part of God or a third of God. And Jesus, the Son, is God and all God, and not a part of God and not a third of God. And the Holy Spirit is God. He's all God, and He's not a part of God, and He's not a third of God. He's all God. And this truth is we say, inescapably implied throughout scriptures. It's a truth, though, that is difficult to grasp and understand. We just read one of the creeds, the Nicene Creed, which puts this forward. My favorite creed on the essence of who God is, is the Athanasian Creed. I encourage you to get it and read it. Athanasian lived at a time in which the church was losing hold on this truth. He stood against everyone else. And at one point in time, someone said to Athanasian, Athanasian, the whole world is against you. And his response was, then I'm against the whole world. And this is a part of his creed. We worship one. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one. And the glory equal and the majesty co-eternal. 
Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet not three eternals, but one eternal, and not three infinites, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, and the Son is almighty, and the Holy Spirit is almighty, and yet not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet not three gods, but one God. The Athanasian Creed. It's what we believe. We hold this as a foundational doctrine to our faith. Yet at the same time, the reality is we don't challenge our minds every single day with this thought. We sometimes bring it out and explain it and argue it and try to put it before individuals, but we don't wrestle with it ourselves and our own way of even interacting with God. It would be, to some extent, a little unsettling for our minds. There will be a time in which these things will be made completely plain for us when we're in the Lord's presence. We say that when we get to heaven, I don't know if you ever thought this, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God to explain the Trinity to me. I think the Bible says when I see him, I shall know him as I'm known. I won't have to ask that question. It will make complete sense to me. I'll understand it. Just as I know myself to be spirit and body and soul, I'll know God completely in a total unity as one being. It will make sense to me at that time. But for now, actually... There are these accommodations I make because it's hard for me to get a grasp on it. So when we're in the habit of referring to the three persons of the Trinity, we're usually in the habit of referring to one as God. We say Father God or Almighty God. And when we pray in such a way, dear God, we usually have in our minds God the Father. But when we speak to the other persons of the triune Godhead, we usually attribute to them just Assign names or personal names. If we are to speak, which is allowed to do, to speak to the Holy Spirit, we just say, Holy Spirit, dear Spirit. And if we are to address the second person of the Trinity, the Son, we usually call him just Jesus or dear Jesus or Lord Jesus. All of this provides us with some kind of mental ease in our minds. We don't have to run through the pathway of logic and understanding and intellectual strain of sorting out the Trinity each time we address God. It, it helps us keep tabs on who it is that our hearts are dressing and where our thoughts or our prayers are being projected at any given moment as we are addressing this unified triune God. So, I don't know... I don't know if you ever have done that, where you've addressed Jesus as God Jesus. Holy God, our Savior. It's there. It's true. But although we usually address the Lord Jesus as Jesus, dear Jesus, my Jesus, don't you ever forget. You must always understand, however you address Him, However you do for the ease of mind and wrestling with this complex idea of the Trinity, never forget that He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is God. Nothing was made without Him. By Him all things hold together. In Him all things were made. They were made by Him and for Him. He is God. Actually, let's go on and 
press on a little bit about this and make this the second point. Not only is he God, but Jesus, the word that was made flesh, now shows us how we're to think of God. The Son became flesh and was given to us, and by the way, he was given the name Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? What was the way to address the second person of the Trinity prior to the Incarnation? You know, we read certain passages of Scripture where we see that God reveals Himself to Abraham and speaks to him, or the angel of the Lord comes before Joshua. And what we say is, this was the pre-incarnate Christ. This was a Christophany, which means an expression or a fleshly manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Now we refer to Him as Jesus. But that name was given to Him just about 2,000 some odd years ago. How did you refer to him prior to that time? I don't know that men did. I don't know. Prior to that time, they had instruction and they had ideas and they had thoughts, but they didn't have a person to affix their understanding of God to. But when God sent his son to the earth, God changed things. All of a sudden, all of our thoughts about God, all of our ideas about God, all of our contemplation and consideration of God now was represented to us in the named person of Jesus Christ. Actually, what it means is this. Now when we think of God, we're to think of God through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the Word. He's the thought of God made flesh. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, May God bless you.